Sitting in a park in Paris, France, reading the news, and it sure looks bad. Then we get pissed at chance. It was just a dream some of us had. Still out to land to see, but I wouldn't want to stay here. It's too old and cold and settling its way here. But California, California, I'm coming home. I'm gonna see the folks that dig. I'll live in the sunset pig. California, I'm coming home. Today on the Culture Quest, we start by kicking off a new segment called Drink Think. Then, in the main discussion, we talk about Joni Mitchell's 1973 album, Blue. And then, Barrio introduces the topic of our next episode, Watchmen, the comic series. Hello, and welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and we're so excited for this episode, we might even kiss a pig. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. On today's episode, we're going to discuss Joni Mitchell's Blue, an album from 1971, an album which, I don't know if you guys know this, It's ranked at number three on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Times list. What? Did you guys know that? Really? Yeah. No way. Really? <laughs> number three of huh. all times. I don't know. We'll see about that. This is kind of a special episode for, for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, due to you know, some scheduling complications, we're recording in the evening, at least for Barrio and me, which means that it's the middle of the night for Peter in Australia. We usually record in the morning for us, and it always is in the afternoon for Peter. Peter, what time is it there? It is 1.15 a.m. And how are you enjoying this experience so far? Um, so far, not bad, actually. Feeling pretty good. <laughs> I had a um, 10-hour sleep overnight, and then I had a four-hour sleep this afternoon to, to like, make up. So officially, I'm in sleep credit, according to my Apple Watch. So Sorry. you're ready for an all-nighter? Yeah, pretty much. I have a lot to say about this album. I probably won't, <laughs> but I could. <laughs> you shouldn't, <laughs> but you could. <laughs> And secondly, this is kind of a special episode because today we're kicking off a new segment on our show. At this point of the show, we usually do a Tavern Talk segment, which gives us a chance to talk about all kinds of topics and ideas, and, and we really enjoy it. But we've recently talked about it, and we've had ideas for quite a few new segments, so we're going to uh, rotate between the segments, do one or so per episode, and we're not going to choose what to do each time by any set order or anything. We're going to do whatever we feel like on each episode. So today, for the first time, we're going to enjoy some Drink Think. Yes. Yes, that's the theme. It's the theme. <laughs> Thank you to Yochai, a good friend of mine, a guy I played with in a few bands for recording this bit. He's also played the guitar on the Good, the Bad and the Ugly intro bit. How do you spell Yochai? I ha- he, he spells it Y-O-H-A-Y. That's a problem with Hebrew names in English. It's, yeah. it's horrible stuff. Y-O-Flab. <laughs> Um, five years ago, it would have sounded absolutely just odd to me. <laughs> and it's honestly, it still does like sound odd, but I don't know. I feel like Jewish intellectuals are just like 
such a large proportion of the population of my podcast at the moment. Like, um, <laughs> this is, this is so many. And it's like, anytime someone says, yeah, yeah, I'm a, um, Ashkenazi or something. Like, it, honestly, like it does not surprise me anymore. I just feel like just, they're all scientists. <laughs> That's just the impression I've got from like YouTube and podcasts. So, um, and one of the terms I heard from, <laughs> I think he is Jewish. Yeah. But, um, one of the people off the very bad wizards podcast with the uh, Chachma, which is like, it's meant to be like kind of like the essence of your point. I always thought that was interesting and a funny sounding word. So Drink Think, our first new segment. It's basically kind of a spin-off of Tavern Talk. Like we wanted to talk about drinks and drinking and stuff like that, which is a topic all three of us are interested in to a certain extent. Um, I'm calling it a spin-off of Tavern Talk because nothing really stopped us from talking about stuff like alcohol and drinking on Tavern Talk. And also you drink drinks in a tavern. So it's basically a tavern talk. But anyway, uh, now we have a specific segment for this. So today's Drink Think topic was inspired by our main discussion today. Uh, on Joni's Blue album, there is a song called A Case of You, in which she sings, I could drink a case of you and I would still be on my feet. So going on this, we're going to talk about A Case of Us. So... Let me, let me ask you guys, uh, a case of what drink would you want to receive as uh, maybe a, a gift? What case of drink would you always want to have kind of stored in your house? Because I think that, like, even if you're a whiskey lover, um, you might prefer something a bit lighter. Or maybe you'd want to save, you know, your favorite whiskey for, for special occasions, and you just don't need a whole case of it. So wh- what would you guys go with? So just one small question. If, if I get a case of, like, spirit, does it have to be the same, like, six bottles of identical spirit? Or could it be, like, a few different brands? The way I thought of it is bottles of the same thing. Okay, so, I think that's yeah. the fair way to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a bit of a cop-out. Yeah. I'm going to say, yeah, I could I could live with six bottles of botanist gin, which is, like, a Scottish gin. It's um, It's pretty much like your standard gin, but it has, like, a bit of, like, almost like a ricey flavor in it as Ooh, well. Really? Um, it's not too like botanical. It's pretty like juniper and a bit of that sort of barley-ish taste. It's like the best gin for mixing cocktails. It's it's the best for everything in my opinion. And if I had six bottles, that's what a case is, right? Six bottles? I, I was thinking 24. Oh, well, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, I could still. Yeah, 24. That would still be like only a six-month supply. Like I feel like if I buy an okay gin at the at the shops, it'll be like sitting around for maybe like a week and a half, two weeks. But if I buy a good bottle of gin, then it's like it's gone in like five days. So I think I could knock that out in six months. Uh, is gin? Would you say gin is kind of your favorite type of a uh, of spirit? Yeah, definitely. In mm. fact, I don't really drink that much other spirits. I mean. Gin is the best for me just because of the gin and tonic. That's hmm. I don't really like other mixes either, so it's sort of like the go-to. I do drink beer, um, do like a pint, yeah. um, but the only other thing I'll have is like if we've been having like a lot of sort of other drinks like beers, gins and stuff like that on a night out, I think a whiskey, like just a straight-up whiskey neat would be good as well. Like throw that in the mix but not enough for me to buy my own whiskey. I think gin's definitely the most common. It's just ridiculously easy to drink as well. So Because it's soft. 
You know, like you can. It, you can it really it with, is. Yeah, you, you you can drink it with with anything. I wouldn't say that gin is is my favorite kind of a spirit. Like I I think I consider myself a whiskey lover, and I kind of like tequila as well. But gin has kind of a special place in my heart. Like I think. I don't know, at one of the earlier parties when we went to in high school, someone, like at the end of the party, just handed me a bottle of gin when I left the house, and I just took it with me, and then every time we met, like we, we sat down with some friends or whatever, I always had some gin, and it's like the first real spirit I ever drank, it's like the first thing I ever really experienced. Even the bad gins I drank always felt a bit more sophisticated. I gotta say that I don't feel it's sophisticated. It's straightforward. It doesn't, it doesn't fool you. It, it's kind of like what you smell is what you get. It could be classy, but not sophisticated. Mm, yeah. I don't know. The, the taste kind of reminds me of like gentlemanly stuff, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's really? because I grew up on James Bond movies. <laughs> I think one time I drank sherry. The first time I drank sherry, I think it was sherry. Maybe it was brandy. The Very smell different things. Was, yeah. <laughs> one of those. And the smell was so good. But the actual taste, I, I remember it was so different than the smell. Mm, but with, yeah. with gin, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> One more thing for gin is that um, compared to beer, I find that the next day is so much better. Because you like this, I think this is the case with a lot of spirits, is that it doesn't, like, it doesn't feel so bad the next day. Like I feel like if I had like 10 beers, that's me gone for like... 24 hours but i could have 10 gnts and then drive to work so actually no delete that (laughs) (laughs) but but you get what i mean (laughs) but yeah i could definitely have 10 gnts and still play a game of tennis see that's another that's sophisticated (laughs) yeah barrio what would be a case uh, for you a case of you can i have a different brands on the same case like whiskey but different brands i would say whatever peter decides let's go no yeah let's go no so that's that's a real commitment yeah it is a commitment like I, the drink that is me i'm not sure that i'm willing to commit to myself that much i can go with uh coke zero oh <laughs> <laughs> what, what would peter think of you if you did go with coke zero <laughs> i don't think i've ever had a coke zero. Oh really well you shouldn't well i know i haven't had a coke in probably 10 years oh actually no, oh maybe, really probably in probably five years, I don't think I've had a mm. Coke. Just lost that taste for it. So you just drink gin and water? I drink a lot of tea, huh. like scary amounts of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've always been amazed at Coke Zero, though, how it is actually zero calories. I always thought it was like, oh, they mean zero calories in like, if you don't drink any or something, some weird law or something, like, you know, like something, but it, it is actually zero. I kind of find that hard to believe just instead of physically kills you it mentally kills you or something like that (laughs) well there's obviously a trade-off otherwise like everything would be zero calories right but like the trait what is trading off against the calorie isn't obvious to me like because already normal coke is bad in terms of like it erodes your teeth and (laughs) it's like you know it has all these weird sort of sugary things in it I'm just trying to think what if there's no calories and it tastes good, like if to you, I don't like you know, if you're a Coke drinker, then I don't know, like what what other parts of your life can it destroy? <laughs> like <laughs> it just causes you to be real condensed, you know. At some point, you start having your own gravity field, <laughs> but you look the same. It's amazing. 
but it's like it's it's still not obvious to me what like why the trade-off even has to be bad like it could be like oh we put no calories in this drink let's see what happens and then it's like oh wow you get like really like thick hair or something (laughs) it's just it doesn't make any sense why can't you have like all wins why does it have to be like that's what i'm asking two sides (laughs) yeah why can't have just like two good sides because here's the thing right you have something that's 500 calories and you cut it down to like 250 calories, right? And you go, oh, there goes all the taste. And obviously, like, if you cut out any nutritious bits, then you're not going to be full, right? Then you cut it from 250 calories to zero calories. But if you still like the taste, then, like, it can only take so much from you, <laughs> you know? Maybe they did make a deal with the devil. Yeah. Maybe it is black magic. Maybe they are killing goats for, for each bottle of Coke Zero. That's the only explanation. It's very easy to notice this is a night episode <laughs> so far. It's, it's, uh, so it's, we're up to 1.40am and that's just how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me steer us back into the conversation. <laughs> Barrio, how many cases of Coke Zero do you want to have in your house at, at any moment? I forgot that this was a topic. <laughs> okay, so we said, it, it, we said it has to be a case full of one drink. Well, I guess the obvious and boring answer is whiskey. But it is a bit boring. It's not that boring. Do you have a specific brand? I don't think that's the boring. I think the boring answer is like beer. Again, it depends which beer. You know, like if you're going with a case of of Bud Light, then yeah, you're... You're basic. You're basic. Basic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but if you're going with whiskey and you're going with like a good whiskey, like if you're, again, if you're going with whiskey and you're going with uh, Johnny Walker, the red version of Johnny Walker, then... Yeah, you're basic. Oh, Ooh, that's right. Okay, 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 okay. I think I think I know why I want whiskey because once I have a lot of whiskey and it's a good whiskey, like I, I would I would take like Glenfiddich eighteen something like not too fancy, but but mm. like fancy enough, and I want a lot of it. Then, like I won't feel bad doing stuff with it that isn't necessarily for just drinking the whiskey. Oh, that's a good like, point. I I could make I could make like a really high quality. Uh, Irish cream, you know, with that whiskey. Ooh. Scottish whiskey, but never mind. Yeah. What? So it's a Scottish cream, but Ah, never mind. Waka waka. (laughs) Waka waka. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I would make whiskey cakes and whiskey desserts. On on Friday, I had whiskey with cookies, and that really works. Like, yeah, Mm. freshly baked chocolate chip cookies with whiskey, that that works. Wait, with the whiskey in like a low bowl? Instead of yeah, milk, yeah, surprise because whiskey just goes great with sweets. So, hmm, yeah, That's, uh, that sounds interesting. It is sounds a bit too sweet for me, but but yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah, that's what appeals to me about whiskey actually, because gin isn't that great for like with sweets or with coffee or anything like that. But with whiskey, you can definitely like mix it up and have that kind of mm. stuff. Uh, on. What's your ideal case, Sinan? I'm going for something a bit lighter in terms of alcohol content. I would love a case of vermouth and specifically a Martini mm. Rosso uh, case. Barry, you've had some Martini mm. with me, right? Yeah. Good drink. Peter, do you, have you ever drank Martini Rosso's or Martini at all? No, I can't think if I have. No. It's a type of vermouth. Uh, there's all kinds of brands, obviously. And vermouth is, I think, a distilled wine with all kinds of spices, if I'm not mistaken. And 
I don't know, it's a really fun drink. Like it's, you drink it in a low bowl with some ice and lemon. The the Rosa one, the type I like, the, the dark red one, it's kind of sweet, but not too sweet. What is the alcohol content? Is it like 20, 30? 25, I think. Mm. So it's it's okay. light, but it's not like beer light. And you have you can have a few of those without worrying about getting too drunk. But it's not like you're you're going mm. to drink a couple and not feel anything at all. You know, it's it's kind of it's somewhere in the middle. And like, at least for me, it's a very versatile drink. Like, it goes well with ginger ale. It goes well with gin. It goes well with all kinds of stuff. It goes well, like, in a hot summer's day, in a party in the middle of the day. It goes well with dinner. It's I like it. And if I'm going to have a case of something, I, I want to have something that is kind of easy to drink. Peter, you, you kind of came up with a, the question of a case of you. So, mm. and, and at first I took it to mean like uh, a case of what drink would you consider like a drink of you? Like what drink would you describe as yourself? What drink you kind of identify with? Okay. Just to give you an example, like I, I kind of had a, an idea about what drink would kind of describe me. And I asked a friend to kind of make sure that I, you know, at least got the, the direction. Okay. And we both thought that my answer like should be, a cheap kind of bourbon, you know? It goes well with dirty, fun music, and it kind of stings on the way down. I think that's a perfect description of me. <laughs> Maybe that's a beer talking. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be something I particularly like, does it? No, okay. it doesn't have to be. I've got, okay, I've got two in mind that I think could describe me. So I'll, I'll fling them your way, and then you tell me. All right. Right? So the first one is, you know, um, Jameson's Irish whiskey? Mm -hmm. Well, I figure Jameson's Irish whiskey is kind of like your stock standard whiskey. It's a good generic whiskey. It's a good generic whiskey. It's pretty good. But it's still got like a different, it's it's still noticeably not, it's still got that Irish bit to it. You know what I mean? It's still got like a a smell to it, still different. Mm. And I figure, why is that particularly me? I'd say, Look, I'm pretty stock standard in terms of like career and, you know, just what I upbringing and stuff like that. But I, I do think it's like it, the packaging is nice. It, mm. it's, it's still a respectable drink. It's not like a Jack Daniels kind of <laughs> type of thing. It's still, it can be classed up, but it can also be classed down. And in terms of the actual taste, I think it's not like super classy or anything like that. It's not like the best drink in the world, but it's still refined and it's still got like a purpose behind it. It's not just like our attempt at being the best whiskey in the world. Like it's, ob- it's, it's obviously going for an Irish whiskey type. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's like there are three groups of whiskey. Like the the ones that you like, they're not good, so you ju- just drink them in shots. You just want to mm. pour them down and, and get rid of those. There's the the yeah. top end, which are like whiskeys you don't want to just throw down your throat. You want to sit with them and you want to enjoy them. And then there's mm. the ones in the middle, which are uh, you can have them either way. And and I think Jameson mm. is like the top brand in that middle middle tier. Yeah. So it's a pretty good whiskey. Mm. It's not, it's not bad. I don't even want to give you my second thing. I think that's pretty much. I feel like I'm pretty happy with yeah, that. It sounds sounds good. What about you, Barrio? Yeah, we have to find something for Barrio. What type are you? Hmm. Unless you don't have a type, and we can try to pick one for you. Barrio could be that uh, Japanese melon uh, liquor. liquor. <laughs> I would stop at melon. Just oh, Japanese the, um, melon. The, ma- <laughs> the Midori. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. 
In, I've in, had what, in what way? <laughs> no, you're green. <laughs> it's not like too bad. It's like no, no it's, it's not bad it's at definitely all. Definitely not an insult. No, no, oh. it, it's okay. I, I don't know. I just wanted to get something out of Barrio, but uh, <laughs> like I'm trying, I'm trying to think about like character traits for drinks. Maybe, maybe, maybe a stout. Maybe I'm stout. Maybe mm. like a stout beer. Like yeah, like only drunk people like me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll go with stout. I, I don't have a really, really good, but I, I just I just drank a stout. I just drank a Murphy's. Before you do, there's a brand called Galliano. I don't know if you guys mm, have heard of it. The tall bottles. Yeah, the tall bottles. And they have their, I think the original one is like sort of, what is the original one now I'm thinking of? it. I think it's like a vanilla type mm. thing. It's um, So it's a liqueur. So I think it's around like 30%, mm. so like more of a stronger liqueur. Yeah, Galliano Vanilla is a long process, unchanged since the creation of the original, like the Cincinnati, um, <laughs> Galliano in 1896. Every step of the process reflects Galliano's dedication to quality and excellence. Um, so I don't know. I kind of feel like that's like, the reason I thought of Barrio when I thought of that is like it's it's kind of... Um, well, one, I didn't want to pick a normal spirit. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. want to, I didn't want to pick like whiskey, gin, vodka, tequila, rum. So, I wanted to pick something that wasn't the normal spirit that someone would have to like deliberately sort of pick. Like that. Like the person who buys a Galliano knows they like a Galliano. Yeah. Like no one's just like going, mm, "What shall I pick?" Oh, I'll pick hmm. this tall bottle. Like it's they people generally are picking it because they like it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like, I feel like the connection maybe to Barrio is like, Barrio seems like the type of person you might walk past and be like, oh, yeah, that's the tall bottle. Like, you're not really like, you don't really know what it is. You might like, you might not know with a percentage. Like, people don't like know what Galliano is, even though they recognize the thing. But then once you get to know it, I'm sure a lot of people would just come back to it. You know what I mean? It's, it feels like. I know, uh, I know someone who has, who I've seen Galliano in the house and like, it's always on the counter. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, they do a few different types, not too many to like, you know, they're not like just bringing out, you know, a different variant every year, but they always keep getting the same thing. It feels like a, like irreplaceable almost, you know? And I feel like Barrio is like. A weird bottle. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> well, one, a little bit of a weird bottle, but. Yeah. Two is still like weird, but only when you compare it to like normal thing. Um, <laughs> weird, but only when you compare it to like what people are buying in large volumes. It's not that weird of a drink. It's just like at first glance, you think it's a bit odd. I don't. I don't think there's plenty of people who, when they go to a bar, that's their default drink. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which makes it a bit special. Hmm. Yet it's still kind of a staple, but it's not. It is like... a staple. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I I definitely gotta try it now. I think that's my next yeah. drink in my mm. in the drinking thing. Okay. So here's 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 the way I describe you and this drink in two words. Weirdly iconic. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Take it. <laughs> I take it and I run away. <laughs> So, Jenny Mitchell, born Roberta Joan Anderson, she's a Canadian singer-songwriter, um, and she's known for her sort of difficult musical compositions, so different tunings, and depending on the song, could be she sings it 
in almost like a weird sort of key. Her first album, Song for a Seagull, also known as just her self-titled Joni Mitchell album, was released in March of 1968, so not too long before this 1971 three, release. Three and a half years. Yeah, and she won a Grammy for Best Folk Performance on her second album called Clouds in March the following year. Bit of her history, she got polio when she was nine. Oh, really? And she was also a nonstop smoker from this age as well, so very early on. I guess different different days back then. Polio weakened her left hand, which inspired her or forced her to use alternate tunings in a lot of her songs, which is sort of why a lot of her music sounds a little bit different, or at least not um, generic. Um, in her early years, she didn't gel well with formal education and was starting to settle in with a bad crowd. And music and poetry sort of brought her back into the good society. She eventually attended Alberta College of Art, um, but she dropped out when she was 20. Um, so she doesn't really fit into the... She doesn't gel well with just normal authority. Mm. She's a little bit folky. In late 1964, so she was about 21, she discovered she was pregnant and she had no money and winter was coming, so she gave the baby up for adoption. And this was the theme of many of her songs, particularly a song on this album called Little Green. Yeah. Um, a few weeks after the birth, she began singing original material and met her first husband, Chuck Mitchell, and took his name to become Joni Mitchell. Um, one night in a club in Coconut Grove, Florida, David Crosby, who we'll know from the Deja Vu album, um, walked in and was immediately struck by Joni's ability. Took her to LA where he introduced her to his friends and soon she was being managed by Elliot Roberts and signed to the Reprise label. Crosby convinced Reprise to let her re record a solo album, an acoustic album with no rock overdubs, which they were trying to do on most albums those days, and it earned him a credit in the as a producer in that oh. first album, which was quite interesting. So in March of 1997, Joni reunited with her daughter um, after her daughter made the connection and called Joni's manager. Um, things have not always been smooth between them, but it seems as of today or 2019, seems they're quite close again. In May of 1997, she was introduced into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and in 2002 received a Grammy Lifetime Achievement oh. Award. So... Um, the album that we're going over today is called Blue, uh, with a title track, track number five called Blue, and this was released on June 22nd, 1971, so right in the middle of quite a competitive era in, in music. First of all, the opening question, what did you guys kind of think going into it, and then, you know, obviously, did it meet your expectations, or um, how did you feel about it in general? So I want to start by talking about kind of my first listening experience with this album, which, you know, I, I what I felt then doesn't really apply for the rest of my time with this album, but um, still. I, I first listened to this album on a walk with Washington, my dog. I think the day after we recorded our last episode, which I think was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, or, or the Edith, Edith Finch episode. And, you know, it was kind of a cold winter evening. It was getting dark outside, and I clicked play, and the first song called All I Want started playing. And I remember thinking, you know, like the, the, the guitars that kick off the album sound sounded cool, a bit fun. And then Joni's uh, singing starts. And for some reason, I kind of 
lost my motivation to listen to this album then, like around 10 seconds into the album. And I can't really explain it. Like something about her just made me think, oh, no, it's going to be another one of those hippie, lovey-dovey, odd kind of albums. And I just kind of didn't want to listen to it. And, you know, I also realized that I was being kind of dumb. You know, on the surface, there was nothing not to like about it. The, the guitar sounded good. The, the writing on this album is definitely interesting. Like you said, it's not just generic um, chord progressions. It's really interesting stuff. And, you know, obviously people love this album, so there must be something here. But I don't know. It's a problem that I have with these folky, acoustic, hippie albums. I know there's a lot to like in them, but I can't find the motiv- motivation to enjoy them. Obviously, I kept listening to it, and in that first listen, I didn't really find anything I liked in it. But on my second listen, I found a few bits in the songs on the album that kind of reminded me of other artists or other songs that I liked. And even though, like, probably most people won't understand these associations that I made, and they were, like, very weak connections, like, there was a bit in the second song in My Old Man that kind of reminded me of Tom Waits and another bit in Blue that kind of reminded me of uh, Regina Spector. So I kind of used those as hooks and I was like, you know, looking for those, for, for more of those hooks when I was listening to Blue. And little by little, they kind of helped me get into this album. And in the end, I really did enjoy this album quite a bit. Like, it might not be a personal favorite out of all of the albums we've done on this podcast, but I, I don't think it has a lot to offer. I think that this album like takes a few listens to get into. It kind of goes from fun and light songs to really heavy stuff uh, all throughout the album. Like it, it keeps zigzagging between those kind of feelings. The lyrics, from what I can tell, definitely carry a lot of emotions. So it's it's hard to get into. But I think it's worth it, especially if you're into music from that time and, or, you know, stuff that was influenced by it. I will say, maybe we'll talk about it a bit later, but I think there's like a specific situation in which this album might work just perfectly. And I didn't get to experience it, but uh, we'll get into that, I guess. Barry, what about you? I actually, I really liked I like the first time that I started listening to it. I was going back home from work. And, you know, it was after a long day and I wanted to go to one of my usual uh, end of the day albums. And I said, no, let's, we need, we need to start listening to, to Johnny Mitchell. Although I'm pretty sure he will sound like a, an, an old country guy or something like that with a name like Johnny <laughs> Mitchell. See, I see where this is going. <laughs> and then I started listening to it <laughs> and it was, uh, it was completely different. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. Joni. Yeah, so I didn't understand that because I, I, I never paid any attention. It was like Johnny Mitchell from, yeah. from what I've heard. And I didn't really pay attention to it. I also didn't really think about it. And I started listening to it and, you know, from the first note she sings, like, I recognized her because I heard her a couple of times. I never knew her name was Joni. Really? Yeah, like, I think uh-huh. um, like she, she's got a really uh, famous cover for... Uh, uh, a big yellow taxi. Hmm. You know, I don't think I know that song. Um, I don't know what you got till it's gone. Paved paradise, put up a parking lot. Is that a Joni Mitchell song? Well, I think she's... I'm not sure if it's hers, but... I think it is hers. Maybe I think the other one is the cover. Yeah, it's crazy because I never knew that... Like, I thought that she's doing the cover. Mm. 
but that's kind of like mm. a very famous song and and i she's got like those tricks that she goes from that she changes octaves right like really really mm. quickly she sings in like a, a a wide range yeah that's what i tried to do in the uh the opening hello like hello i thought it was clear <laughs> i thought it was funny <laughs> yeah. so i started listening and it was completely different from what i thought first of all i think She's got a good voice, not really interesting voice, but a good voice. She's got good technique. And as you said, the, it's, this is pretty much an acoustic album, yeah. and it, it has its appeal. So I, I found myself enjoying it. What about you, Pete? So going into it, I kind of knew that she was a bit of a great, but I, didn't, I, I, I couldn't name a song from her. So I, I, I started listening to it, and I think about maybe three songs in, I had that same feeling that Anon had. I just... I don't know what it was about it. It was kind of felt like, I don't know, a little bit, I guess, dainty, you know, like a lot of high pitch sort of like jingles. And I thought maybe it's not for me, but I thought I'd just take a bit of a break and come back to it. So I ended up coming back to it and I started um, listening to track number four, which was Carrie. And <laughs> sorry, Josh from all the people just messaged us. Doesn't expect us to be up this late, I think. <laughs> um, so I started listening to track number four. Again, I didn't really like it too much. I I don't know. I didn't vibe with it. And so I left it maybe overnight. And then I started listening to track number six, which was California. And all of a sudden, I just felt like refreshed. I felt like I was having such a better time. So California is probably my favorite song on the album. And this is just the start to the what I'd consider like a really good sort of back half of the album. So This Flight Tonight, River, A Case of You, which we did obviously the opening drink think on, and The Last Time I Saw Richard. And I really enjoyed those songs. So when I kept going back to the album, I kept listening to just that half of the album and I used to neglect the first five and only recently did I ever come back to the first five and now I don't mind them so yeah it's been good I I feel like I pretty much am on your level and on when it comes to how much I liked it I thought I did quite like it I thought there were a few songs I actually really liked and then um, the rest I thought were like quite good but I wouldn't necessarily listen to them you know, a lot. And I'm pleasantly surprised. Again, I don't know if I'm going to go through her catalog and listen to like all of her songs, but then again, I probably wouldn't remove the album from my playlist. I'd probably just keep it there for when I want it. So it's sort of like an in-between feeling. I think it's, I think it's quite good, but is it for me? Probably not. Is it number three on Rolling Stones top 500 uh, albums of all time? I don't feel like it, it is for me, but I don't know. I mean, a lot of people obviously feel like it is really spectacular. But overall, I did have a good time. But definitely, definitely after that first little hiccup, I felt like it was um, quite easy to listen to. The more I listened to it, the more I found in it. Mm. And I still feel that like the last, maybe maybe not the, la the last couple of songs and the song River, I still haven't got to the bottom of those. Like I'm enjoying them, but I, mm. I feel like there's more to discover in them. To me... Joni, let me know if you agree with me, but she kind of sounded a bit maybe weird and, and, and ditzy and awkward, maybe. Like, in my mind, I kept imagining her as Annie Hall from, from the movie Annie Hall. And that's, like, how I saw her. It's kind of a bit 
unconfident and maybe floaty. I kind of agreed with you a little bit. She sounded a little bit awkward. Kind of like that character. Ditzy, but she did still sound confident to me. She still she felt like much older than what maybe she was. That's true. You know, she did feel like. I don't know if distinguish is the right word, but definitely like experienced. That's the vibe I got from her. Have you have you watched uh, Firefly Lane? I think it's uh, it's on Netflix. No. no. Then there's uh, like the mom of one of the lead characters. She's kind of like this really hippie drunk, but really confident. That's what, who I imagined Joni to be. So I, I did see her as kind of like Annie Hall, which, like I said, a bit unconfident, a bit floaty. But when you, when you listen to the music, the chord progressions and the melodies and the guitars and everything all sound very confident and strong. So it was a bit of an interesting mix, I thought. And then I read the lyrics. Through the lyrics, there are war parts in which Joni seems like, you know, a bit confused and unsure of herself, which makes sense but there were parts where she seemed fully confident and the floaty feel of Joni with a very confident feel of the album very it worked well I thought Joni is a bit of a hard person to like put in a box like in terms of if you think about Taylor Swift like I hate to generalize but you do feel like she's putting across the she's a confident badass woman Mm. who wants to like take over the world but she still has like her albums is where she goes into where she is vulnerable. So it's that bit where she's strong, but then she's vulnerable and then she's strong again. And everything else is sort of like just degrees of that. Whereas Joni is a bit like going into her backstories, like growing up, she was very poor at points. She had the polio. She was you know, a smoker from a young age, like it seems like it's like going to be a straight up, you know, delinquent sort of yeah. type. Mm. But then, you know, she makes friends with David Crosby, who's a distinguished artist. She gets signed to a record label. She she was obviously going to college for a little bit. And her first two albums are just great successes. She's won a Grammy Award, you know, so she's not an underground artist by no. any any yeah. stretch of the imagination. So she's almost like in high society from that point of view. She's a very hard person to kind of sum up. And um, I think this album is sort of um, interesting because I wanted to sum her up very quickly. I thought, oh, okay, here we go. Like this is going to be either a, um, just she's just the most tragic story in the world and this is just going to be 10 songs about how tragic it was, or it's going to be like out of touch. It's going to be a little bit describing, you know, all of the, her experiences traveling the world or something like that, but it's not really any of those. It's a little bit of everything. It's, it's pretty diverse. I guess you could say like from little green, which is, you know, which if you know what it's about, it's about her giving up her daughter for adoption. And then she has Carrie, which is sort of like a, I guess a lost, Lover, yeah. I guess you could call Maybe, it yeah. a case of you, which is like a love song. Um, California, which is like a bit of one of those classic songs where you are um relating to a place that you want to go to or go back to. So, yeah, another another good song in 1971 was Going to California by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you had to mention that, um, <laughs> <laughs> just for the bingo, yeah. <laughs> um, next question I wanted to ask you guys was. Comparing it all the way back to when we listened to Deja Vu and 
um, not so long ago when we listened to Taylor Swift's Folklore. Did you guys find any similarities between maybe Joni and, and Taylor Swift or Joni Mitchell's album and the Deja Vu album? I think there is a much stronger connection to um, the Deja Vu album. Mm, yeah. When we did listen to the Deja Vu album and I realized that she wrote the song um, Woodstock. Woodstock. Thank you. Then, you know, I looked up her version of the song and her version of the song is her on a piano and she just, you know, plays a chord, sings a song. It sounds a lot like this album. You know, it sounds slower. Like mm. uh, the Woodstock on Deja Vu, yeah. like it's maybe the loudest song on the album. It's it's electric guitars and, and drums and like a lot of voices singing together. And her version is, is in a way smaller, but in another way, you know, her and the piano is is, is there's a lot in there. So... I kind of was amazed back then at how different her version of Woodstock was. And that version is really similar to a lot of songs on this album. So when I listened to, to, to Blue, it really connected to Deja Vu for me. Um, I don't know if it would have been that the same if I didn't know her version of Woodstock. But definitely, I don't see a lot of connection between this and Folklore, even though it is considered a folk album. Well, I didn't, I didn't remember that. I'm not sure if I even knew if that uh, like the the connection with Woodstock. It's you can you can hear it's from the same era. Yeah. Right. And and Taylor Swift is completely different. It's much more uh, today's pop. Yeah. It has a bit of folky stuff in it, but it doesn't have the same feel. It does. It's it it feels like folk music that is coming from a totally different direction. Well, when I saw that Taylor Swift's, one of her inspirations was Joni Mitchell, oh. I kind of thought like, as a fan of Joni Mitchell, like if you were a big fan of Joni Mitchell, about to create your own album, I kind of feel like it's going backwards, you know, like if you've had this album and then you listen to Taylor Swift's, it definitely feels like that's not an improvement. It definitely feels like it's been simplified and it's mm. been trivialized yeah. and the process is more, I guess you can glimpse what the process of making the song was from listening to the song. Mm. You can just imagine them putting down the more of a generic beat and, you know, we've already talked about the lyrics on it, which were kind of maybe first draft lyrics. Yeah. And it just def much so. definitely doesn't feel like, you know, someone that was inspired to make something even better. You know, it just definitely feels like a, when we're inspired, just like she's taken some bits of Joni Mitchell's and um, put it in her own. Like it definitely doesn't feel like she's done anything interesting. It's yeah. just like another paint to add to like her painting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, another color to put on the painting. It's not like she's actually done anything interesting with it. When I compare it to um, Deja Vu, I do feel though I had a better time with Deja Vu. It felt like the songs were a little bit more diverse, like, but I mean, obviously there's four people yeah. on Deja Vu making it, but it definitely still feels like it's the same group of friends that were making it. You know what I mean? Like definitely. you can imagine Joni Mitchell just from her album, hanging out with the people that made Deja Vu. It definitely feels like one and the same. And um, I kind of feel like the comparison is a little bit hard because Deja Vu is closer to a rock album. This is definitely closer to a folk album, but yeah, there's something about blue that is, a little bit repetitive when you compare it to um, Deja Vu. Yeah, the sound is more consistent throughout. The sound is much more consistent, but 
then if you listen to folklore compared to blue, that is, it's like another distillation. You know what I mean? It's like even more the same. Yeah. Do you want to talk about favorite have, tongues? Yeah, that's what, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. Do you guys have any favorites? Well, I mean, if you have a favorite and if you have a least favorite, maybe. Uh, I have like three songs that I listen to the most that I consider them to be my favorites. Like there's My Old Man, there's Blue, the title track, and there's This Flight Tonight. I think it's track six or seven or somewhere yeah. in between. I think, I don't know, I think that maybe with more time, A Case of You might also make it into my list. But as of now, that's it. Yeah. Right? River and A Case of You I saw were very popular. I, I, I only know through like when you go on to like various listening sort of apps it will like, highlight the ones that hmm. obviously clicked more than the others. Yeah. And River and A Case of You were very popular. Both River and A Case of You were like songs that I really enjoy. Like I, Every time I listened to them, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed them. Mm. But those other three I mentioned are like songs that really popped out to me and I kind of just wanted to listen to and, you know, I found them being stuck in my head throughout the day. I don't know, like my old man is, is, is really charming, reminds me a bit of the early Tom Waits albums I mentioned earlier. Something about the melody in the chorus kind of reminds me of something Tom Waits would have done. And Tom Waits, his first album kind of came, I don't know, two years after this one. So maybe maybe he was influenced by this. It has an, an interesting chord progression. I love the melody. I kind of like the lyrics. And I, I found it a bit weird that, you know, it's a love song. It, it, she's talking about her boyfriend and she's calling him my old man. Kind of weird. Mm. My old man was actually the one I wanted to come back to when I said sometimes she plays around with kind of interesting ways of singing because that one, I, without having done any research on exactly what it's <laughs> called, but she kind of feels like she goes almost from like a major to minor key. Do you find that? like Yeah. A modulation. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't heard it, heard the song, it definitely feels um, like the best way to describe it would be like it turns a little bit like a sour, like a bitter taste. Yeah. But it sort of resolves itself, and it's actually quite interesting. And it's almost like a little bit hard to listen to if you've never heard to it before, but when you're expecting it, it's actually quite nice. Yeah, it's, when you're expecting it, it works really well. Very difficult to sing as well. Like, I, I think if you were to cover that, which I might have tried in the car, <laughs> it's way of singing. It's not very natural, and it and she does it very well. I'm not laughing at you because it's not funny that you tried it. I'm laughing because I just tried it before we started recording. <laughs> uh, it's a very, very fun song to sing if you get it right, I think. <laughs> yeah. Blue, the title track, I think is one of the more touching songs in the album. It's It feels sad and depressed and, and also familiar. You know, this song sometimes makes me stop doing whatever it is I'm doing, just to stare into space and, and get lost in thought. And in contrast with those two songs, the, the, this flight tonight, on the surface, it's, it's a fun, easy yeah, song. Fun. Yeah. And, uh, but there's some regret in the lyrics and, and it works mm. so well with the mid tempo feel of the song. Like they come together and create the feeling of like realizing that a hasty decision that you've made might have been wrong. So even the fun, lighter song had a, a bunch of depth to it that, I don't know, it just captured my attention and it became a song that I couldn't um, skip at all. Like, I really liked it. We'll go to um, worst songs later. We'll, what about you or not? Ah, uh, sorry. What about you, Barry? What was your, um, what was your favorites? I think California as well. Yeah. Something there. Really, yeah. From, this, from the kind of cheery, cheery way. It's fun. I think I gave mine away before I said yeah. California was my favorite. Yeah, and, um, 
honestly, it almost flicked to this flight tonight. Like, it, I really started to enjoy that steel string guitar, which is played by, it's called a pedal steel, and it was mm. played by a guy called Sneaky Pete. I don't know who that is. But Such a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he plays um, pedal steel on California and this flight tonight. But yeah, California was, um, I think, definitely my favorite. It's, um, I just love the lyrics. I love the, love the guitar. I love the singing. Is that the song that kind of survived after all these years? Is that the song that kind of like stayed in everybody's minds? Is that the song that is still being played on radio, do you think? That's kind of the feeling I got. I have no idea. I think like maybe a case of you maybe was or mm. all I want, but it could definitely be California. Yeah. Um, a case of you is a very iconic lyric. Like I could drink a case of you. It's, you know, it's, it's a very catchy kind of thing to say, yeah. whereas California doesn't quite have that. Mm. Um, and all I want, I think is just a good way to start an album. So I can understand people constantly yeah. putting on the album. That's the first thing they hear. So um, gets a bit of an advantage from that. Okay, what's our least favorite song, if you have one? I can't say I have a least favorite song. Like, I'll mention the last time I saw Richard, uh, the last song in the album, because I feel yep. like, even though I listen to it as much as I listen to the rest of the album, I feel like I know it the least. I think, I think like, I got it yeah. the least. So, it, yeah. it hasn't clicked yet, but I, I'm not going to say I have a least favorite song. I, actually, I, I, I'll agree there. I think it's, I don't know, I found it a bit annoying, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was like, stop describing things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my least favorite, I, I feel like I do this quite often, where I pick someone's favorite as a least no, favorite. No, not blue. It is blue. Blue is my least favorite. I, and honestly, as soon as like I was thinking about recording this episode, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to say blue's the worst. And so I'm like, let's listen to it a little bit more and like see if I can understand it a little bit more. But honestly, I just never really liked it. I could never get into it. It just felt like it was maybe a bit slow and I could never like look forward to listening to it. Mm. So I'd listen to All I Want and My Old Man um, Little Green, which sort of became, it could have been a contender for my least favorite, but because of the story, I it kind of got boosted up a little bit mm. for me. Carrie was always a nice one in the middle of Little Green and Blue. It was a very good toe tapper. And then there was Blue, which kind of, I don't know, it just felt very weighed down to me. It just, it kind of killed the mood for me. Mm. And then the last five I always liked, so... Yeah, Blue just didn't do it for me. I'm going to make a prophecy that one day you'll come back to this album and Blue will be like your favorite song. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that, I'm not going to like disagree and say, no, that'll never happen. Yeah. One of those things that people will forget about until it'll come true. Mm. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. Well, on our, on our like um, 500th, 500th <laughs> episode, I'll, I'll inform you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, is there anyone like a modern artist that reminds you of Joni Mitchell. And obviously there's Taylor Swift, but is there anyone else potentially? It's something that you said before. And, and I also thought about it when listening. There are some parts where I could really have heard uh, Regina Spector uh, yeah. there. Peter, do you know her? Do you know uh, Regina Spector? Uh, no, not particularly. That's uh, like I mentioned it earlier, but that's also the one I wrote down in. I kept thinking about her when I was listening to this album. Um, Regina Spector, she, she's kind of an amazing pianist, brilliant singer. Um, she started out as an indie artist. I think her 
first album is just her on a piano and it's not unlike a few of the songs on blue like there's a bunch of songs on blue which are just piano and singing and Regina after releasing a couple of indie albums she released a few official albums that were also pretty good and then she kind of became poppy maybe too poppy for me at least but in the albums that I did like she was just amazing like a, a lot of charm it's something that really reminded me of this album blue and also in a few songs especially the song blue I think in the chorus of the song blue there are lines that Joni sings that just gave me flashbacks of, of Specter's music they they sounded a lot like each other hmm. I think uh, you know it's not only about the uh, kind of like acoustic version with that 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 it sounds very intimate but so also some of the uh, singing techniques. Yeah. So the artist that I thought was potentially, I don't know, maybe inspired or some sort of derivation of Joni Mitchell was, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of them, but the band name is First Aid Kit. Hmm. Doesn't sound familiar. So they're a um, Swedish band from Stockholm. And I think since maybe 2007 they formed, they've got like a few albums now out. But they're very much like a folk duo, and I'd say they're a little bit more a little bit more poppy than Joni Mitchell, but they've definitely still got that you know grassy type vibe, a little bit hillbilly kind of taste to it i I think if you wanted something like Joni Mitchell, but you wanted it more something that's a little bit more easy listening, maybe has a little bit more of like a hook aspect to it you know like maybe you liked this flight tonight or california those are the two songs that you i would say um sound a little bit more like first aid kit i think they're definitely like um the ones to go for and they actually do have a song called blue as well which is quite good oh really yeah pretty good i think my my favorite song by them is one called emmy lou which i think that's about emmy lou harris which I've played her before. She she sung that Bob Dylan cover for Every Grain of Sand. They they played that maybe Grammys or some something similar where Emily was there and um it's cool. It was yeah, it was quite quite a good um YouTube video for me. So essentially this uh, as we've discussed it's number 3 on on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums. Do you think that sometimes women can be overlooked in music or do we undervalue their contributions? And do you think maybe music can be geared towards men or do you think it could be geared towards women or do you think that's not possible? It's music is music ever. It's for everyone. Like a lot of times when I see an album from like a, you know, top female artist or something, it's always like, you know, this is the best album in 2012 from a female artist. Like it's always like caveating it with female artists Mm. or when we go back, to these times, 1970s, if you look at all the big bands like Beatles, Pink Floyd, Zeppelin and stuff like that, like you never get big girl bands, you know, like there's some, but there's not, there's not as many. So like, do you think it's more like this is not an area that girls wanted to get into as much? And I say didn't want to, because I feel like it's, it's more even at the moment. Or do you think it was like, there was some great, female artists out there that we never heard because they just weren't given the opportunity. What do you think the state of play was? Bird, you want to take this one? Uh, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> As a whole, it's it's. I think it's kind of clear that the music industry is skewed towards men because 
I don't know, I think we can all agree that we can name so many more male artists and male performers than female ones, right? Like, that has to be a sign of something, at the very least, right? Like, I can, I can name so many more guitar players and, and singers. Not just that, and... but when I think of females, like, there's like a category. Like, there's no, like, I go, hmm, females, okay, like, Taylor Swift, Joni Mitchell, there's a new artist called H.E.R., who's a pretty good guitar player. Mm. It's very easy to just think, okay, these are the female artists I listen to. It's about like, what, 10, 20% of my um, library. But no one would ever be like, oh, what male artist do you listen to? It's just like, it's a weird sort of question. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a shame because, you know, obviously if you go back to the 50s, there was much less women singing because it's just people just weren't giving them the opportunities. Yeah. And then even by the 70s, not super common. So... I think folk was actually one of the areas where it was actually probably better for women to get into because rock was definitely not an easy area to get into. Folk is kind of like softer music, so it, it fits more with the female kind of yeah. image. I, I don't know. I, I think I feel that even today, like female artists, maybe not Taylor Swift because she's huge, but they have to be more mm. gimmicky to kind of break through. I don't know. Um, I might be yeah. so wrong about that, but I, I'm not sure. I'll speak for myself here. I'll say that as much as I hate to admit it, I totally think that I look at female artists differently than male artists. Like, I'm trying to, mm. to think about, you know, all of the times that I listen to new female artists or, or a band that is fronted by a female vocalists or something. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain. But when I listen to, fem- to a female artist, I think there's a higher bar to clear for me to enjoy the music and want to listen to more. Because mm. I don't know. I think that I expect music from female from a female artist to be more gentle and sweet. So even when it's a bit more loud and dirty, like when I listen to The Regrets or when I listen to Blondie, which I really, really like, or when I listen to Nightwish, which is a metal band, I still compare them to like other rock or metal bands. And, and kind of in my head, I look for the feminine feel and and I use it to kind of confirm my initial thoughts to, to to make me feel like yeah it is softer than other stuff in that kind of field you know I don't know I, I try to notice those things and ignore those instincts and treat female artists as I do male artists okay so Anon's a sexist yep I now whatever we say Pete it, it's going to sound better. I'm trying to get better you guys <laughs> I don't even see um, gender yeah <laughs> no, um... <laughs> sometimes I go into the wrong bathroom because of that you know I, I'm so blind to... <laughs> <laughs> nah, you went there that's where exactly where my head went I'm like oh that's a not a good issue Galliano anyway um, I I kind of feel like it's a bit different now though I feel like now, I almost thought, like, the Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, that might be a bit of an old reference, but I feel like they're kind of, like, killing it. You know what I mean? Like, in terms of numbers, like, in terms of revenue and stuff like that, I feel like they're kind of killing it, you know? I, I, I like, totally agree, but I think that the pop world and the music world are two different things uh, for yeah, some true. reason, you know? Yeah, I kind of feel like, in success terms, they're killing it. Like, oh yeah, you can't say they're not successful. You can also add Beyonce to that list, or Mariah Carey, or oh yeah, yeah. Don't know how I didn't miss that. So I feel like it's kind of evening up in terms of, you know, who people are listening to every day. Like I definitely feel like there's not much of a difference. Like probably even more maybe balanced to females because I feel like if you're going for that club sound, females actually have a very kind of like a seductive voice that they can put behind 
like the drum and bass. But again, I don't know if that's for the good or for the bad yeah. because music today is like, if you listen to the radio kind of stuff, it's like, I think it is objectively worse. Like I'm not, I'm not one of those people where I think art is like just all subjective. You can't make any like opinion about it. I, I definitely think it's subjectively worse than it was in the nineties or the seventies or the sixties. And now that it's being headed up a little bit more by those, you know, um, powerful female roles, like, I mean, it's good in terms of it's giving people role models, but it would be nice if they kickstarted their own brand. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you, if you take, for example, classic rock in 1970s, like, you know, classic rock was around earlier than the 1970s, but it definitely took on a new persona headed by not too many, but like still numerous groups. Like it was a lot of like the British invasion kind of groups like Cream and Led Zeppelin, you know, like they started something new. And I feel like now 2020 where, you know, Billie Eilish can record songs from her basement Mm. and, you know, produce them with her. I'm not sure if it's her brother or some guy, but You know, like, I feel like now is, like, the time where females could actually, like, really bring it in a new direction. And I kind of feel like that was happening with First Aid Kit, but um, now I'm not so sure because it's been so long and it's kind of been on the same trajectory. But, yeah, so I'm not sure. And, like, the thing is, when you said it was, like, often you're looking for, like, the gimmick. Well, in the 80s and the 90s and stuff, when there was a, say it was just a, a regular band, but then a female lead, right? A lot of the times they do that is because, well, females aren't often the lead. So if we put one in, that's going to change the band. And that's not the way to change a band by just changing the gender of someone, because then it does become about the gender. And the thing is, if that happens more often, people do the pattern recognition that humans are so good at and they go, oh, they've changed the gender of the front person. What's the deal? Like, what's the gimmick they're going for? And honestly, like, we don't need the gimmick because there are so many good female artists out. Like, I mean, this was 1971. This isn't this isn't a new album. It's 50 years old. Oh, it's 50 years old. Huh. Um, <laughs> but we already had, like, the seeds of what could have become, like, really interesting female music. But we didn't... But what people then decided that is that we need to put female in front of it. It needs to be like, oh, this is our new female version. You know, like it, I just think it's like all backwards. It needed to be more organic. But now that it's forced, now even when it is organic, people are looking for where it was forced. Do you have any thoughts, Barrio? His mind is playing. <laughs> Don't say anything <laughs> offensive. Don't say anything no, offensive. No, actually, I, I got to say that I, I never actually had thought about it. But now that I'm thinking about it, like... And I'm looking at my playlist. Like I don't, I don't think I really care about gender because you know when for me music is, you know, it's it either clicks for me or it doesn't. That's why I also don't listen to a lot of artists because if it doesn't click, it doesn't click. And I think that I'm pretty much like fifty-fifty regarding gender. But so that's that's kind of like personally, you know, I'm very enlightened and very modern and liberal, <laughs> and I'm pretty much saving the karma for this whole podcast. Honestly, if I had to guess, I would say I don't know anyone with a library that consists of 50% females and 50% males. If you say yours is, then I believe you, obviously, but I, I thought everything is so skewed towards uh, men. Really? Yeah. It's just all Caucasian females and males. <laughs> <laughs> you have you have to bring the race card, right? <laughs> I, I guess you're right. Like 
in everything liking music is liking the the person who makes the music and you know it's it's suffering the same thing as any kind of like popular contest you know the fact that caucasian males are kind of like in the front and it's it's a bit harder for everyone else mm, yeah we just disparaged taylor swift in in, in my topic last time so <laughs> not doing well but yeah we're trying to make up for it <laughs> and also this is kind of becoming the second anti-taylor swift album we've mentioned her so many times <laughs> do you guys want to talk about the ideal scenario to listen to this album yeah um well you actually said you had you found the I have an perfect, idea yeah yeah you had the perfect idea well i think i think the perfect time is hmm, it, i think it's definitely a daytime album and i think it's more of like i don't think it's like an entertaining at least not an entertaining with like a lot of people yeah. just because this is purely like a um more of like a audio kind of reason is that it doesn't have a lot of like a lower end to fill up the room you know what i mean mm. it's very acousticy feeling so i definitely feel like it's um i definitely feel like it would be more like a close like maybe three or four people during the day playing like board games or just hanging out, having a cup of coffee. Definitely not like a boozy weekend thing. I think it would definitely be something like that, which won't overpower like the conversation if you're talking or something like that. It's definitely easy to have on in the background because it does have like a light kind of feeling to it. What about you, Anon? What was your ideal scenario? Did I get it right? No, not at all, but... <laughs> I, I can see what you're going for. So it's 1847 in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that, to me at least, I, I think it's it's a perfect album to share with, with someone that you're interested in, like romantically. I think this is a perfect album to listen to when you're in those kind of first stages of dating someone, when you're like staying up all night to talk and listen to music. You know, I think it's a, a nighttime album. I think it's like laying in bed with with someone and playing it softly and just enjoying you know sharing this album together just enjoying listening to this album together at least for me this album seems perfect for that middle of the night comfortable relaxed situation you know it helps that it's not just fun light songs you know like the deeper songs will work just as well and i feel like this is a, a great album to listen to when you're kind of connecting with someone when you're bonding if you know what i mean hmm. and i didn't get to share it with someone so i i kind of think that one day i'll get to to get more out of this album yeah i, I agree with it it's an album to kind of like share with something like it's definitely not not to listen in the background i thought that it could work really well as a a driving album when you're you're driving with someone and you just play it i agree yeah yeah that would, could be nice we should talk about our favorite driving albums one day. That'd oh, be cool. Man, That's a that. whole segment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Joni Mitchell's Blue. So comparing this to all other female artists, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think I think it was a pretty solid release. Actually, I feel like if it wasn't hyped up so much by Rolling Stone, or if it was like fiftieth or something, <laughs> honestly, I would say fiftieth. You know what? Bang on. It's a it's a pretty solid album. There's one song I I I thoroughly hate. Wow! Um, but it, it's <laughs> I'm joking. Um, there's actually not that much I dislike about it, and 
it does sound similar all the way through, but I guess she has so many albums that, I mean, not all of her stuff sounds the same. Like, if one album does sound like... Like, and it's not even like a bad way it sounds the same. It doesn't sound like the lyrics are the same or even the guitar and stuff. It's just like a, the vibe of it is very similar. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, most people would say that's a good thing. It's a, it makes a very cohesive album. And I think, I think it's deep and I think it's, um, I think it's amusing. I do, I do think it's probably a little bit harder to get into than just your generic rock ACDC album or something like that. I don't think this is something that people would just go, oh, let's put an album on and pick this for the first time and think, oh, wow, let's put this on every time. It takes time. It does take a little bit of time to get into. And I didn't find myself listening to the whole album, like all the way through a lot of the time, um, which is a bit of a shame because I think it's probably one of those albums that was meant to be played all the way through. Mm. But I did sort of skip around a little bit. And yeah, so overall, like I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. There's not a lot of downsides. Do I love it? I don't know. I don't think I love it. I think I definitely think it's something I'm going to keep around because I need to get my um, woke points up and have <laughs> that fifty-fifty balance. <laughs> but also, it is something I do come back to even when I don't need to do it for a podcast. It's something where, like, I would definitely put on California, which goes into this flight tonight, I'd hundred percent put that on when I need, you know, when I need five minutes of music to fill up some space or in the morning or something like that. And yeah, like it's, it's totally good. I don't, I don't love it to pieces, but I think it's definitely a solid release. I think she is interesting. What I can say that I, that I didn't say about other albums that we listened, that I do want to give some other albums of Joni, a chance like it will either shed more light about this album and it will make it more interesting or it will just be the same and then i i'll know to stop because it felt like an edge of something interesting but i'm not sure that there is more into it i'll i'll take the chance to recommend uh the hissing of summer lawns I listened to it a bit. It's a, another Joni Mitchell from 1975. It's a bit more jazzy, a little less folky. I think you might like it. Cool. So I'll give that yeah. a chance. Yeah. Well, I think there is a lot that this album has to offer. And I totally think I didn't get to the bottom of it. I, I didn't love this album. I didn't love it to bits. But I kind of have a feeling that one day I'll come back to it and maybe love it even more. I don't know. So, as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Joni Mitchell's Blue has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, a.k.a. The Quag. We will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay, and the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. I'll bring up the fact quickly that up until now only one music album was entered into The Quag, I think we're a bit tough on music albums, maybe. that mm. the, the album that got into the quake was Queen's Live at Wembley. And, I don't know, let's have a vote. Um, I will ominously stroke my mustache. Wow, that was a, that was a great pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I almost thought I cut out, and I, it was me. That's <laughs> how oh, <laughs> silent should, it was. I should say something. <laughs> yeah, I, my, my brain just froze a little bit. But, um, yeah. Um, Varya, do you want to 
stroke your mustache next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will stroke my mustache as well. Bam, bam. <laughs> yeah, same here. I'll I'll stroke my mustache as well. I I hate the fact that it's a a, a three stroker, <laughs> but uh, that makes sense. <laughs> Phrasing. Uh, I I I thought like even before we we started recording. I kind of knew that I was going to, to stroke my mustache, but and I kind of had the feeling that you guys will as well. Well, our next quest will be an illustrated novel called Watchmen, which got a lot of attention these couple of years. First, there was a movie. I think it's like 10 years ago or something. Wow, has it been that long? <laughs> I think last year there was another TV series uh, on HBO, like I keep hearing great things about it, and it's supposed to be really interesting and dark, and it's supposed to be fun. You know, you checked and said it's about 400 pages. Yeah, I think 400 pages for comics is, is long. It's not like 400 pages of a novel. Yeah. It shouldn't take too much time. Yeah. I think we've each individually thought about bringing this topic up. So it was like, a, it was a matter of time until one of us would have chosen this. So... I, it's time. It's time. Time, 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 time. It's time. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I wanted to read this. Like, I think back in high school, a good friend of mine read it. It seemed like something cool to, to, to experience, to enjoy. I always wanted to borrow the, the book from him. I never did. I'm I'm really waiting to do this. Yeah, I, I always looked at it as like one of the best graphic novels. Like, not that I've read, but that has been adverted to me, I guess. Mm. And... um. I don't know. I guess I was waiting for a special time to do it. And then I saw the movie came out and I was debating whether to do the movie first or to do the novel. And then the TV series came out. I just never got around to doing it. And it is a long one, but honestly, like graphic novel can't be that bad. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I've heard so many conversations that draw upon The Watchmen um, for various reasons. And it just seems like there might be some like maybe philosophical aspect to it alongside the superhero aspect to it. Yeah, I'm definitely in for it. I watched the movie the, when it came out and I remember, I don't remember anything from it. I remember it had a cool, cool feeling to it. I definitely want to, uh, to rewatch the movie. If I um, get some time, I'll definitely watch the movie as well. Before we close this uh, episode, Peter, what, what's the time for you? Um, the time for me is 3.08 a.m. Oh, 3.08 a.m. Go to sleep. <laughs> Not a lot of people podcast at this time of night. How do you feel? Uh, I'm definitely more tired than I was when I started. Because when I started, I just had a shower and stuff like that. Mm. So, yeah, I'm a little bit tired. But overall, my, my sleep debt balance isn't that high. Mm. Because I know I've had so much sleep. But yeah, I've got to play tennis this <laughs> afternoon. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll have a sleep and then sleep in and hopefully it'll be... Such a sophisticated um, But I know, because Josh messaged us, right? And doesn't he start recording at 4 a.m. his time? I recorded an episode with him and I think it was like 3 p.m. my time. And he's on the West Coast, so it must have been like 4 or 5 
his time. He's crazy. Yeah, yeah. he is. Uh, we're talking about Josh from the All the People You Should Know podcast, uh, a good friend of ours. Go go listen listen to his much more successful podcast. <laughs> much more. W- would you be interested in recording all of the episodes at this time of night, Peter? That's 100% going to be a no, son. <laughs> <laughs> We do have like a weird, awkward time situation because uh, it works out because you guys do it at midday, but yeah. otherwise it's tough because if you guys did it at midnight... I'd have to do it at like 6am or 5am, which would be tough. And then if you guys go at like 8am, then it's a good time for me, but only on some days and then it's early for you. Yeah. So it's it's a weird, it's six hour or five or six hours isn't actually too bad, no. but it still does make it a bit annoying. Exactly. Because you can't like say at night, right? If like just say after work, like a 5pm start is a 10pm start the other person yeah if it was like two or three hours suddenly like it kind of you know you just have a late dinner or something but five or six just is like that's when it starts to get a bit annoying it works out well for us that uh for us the work week is sunday to thursday yeah so on fridays like barrio is usually just getting up when we're recording correct me if i'm wrong no that's completely right and uh you're just getting off of work so it works well for us. Uh, the the, the six-hour mm. difference isn't perfect. Not too bad, though. So thank you, Peter. And thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. The Culture Quest podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, org. so it's it's a dot org so it's it's legit and um basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity so obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times but if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to um, charities it's definitely best to do your research because a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah, so definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So anyway, this is not 
formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you. So 2021 is upon us, and instead of flying cars and monkey robot butlers, we have a pandemic. We have media and making every little annoying twit of a child think they're going to be the next famous celebrity because they did some stupid trend they've seen somebody else doing nine million times. We have people that are self-entitled and stupid and given a voice through social media constantly whining about how everybody else is the problem and how everyone else needs fixings. We have celebrities lecturing us about how we have to give more so we can elevate everyone to a better life from the security of their seven-bedroom, multi-million dollar estates. We have politicians lying to us that they're going to fix the situations we're in that they created in the first place. And then we've got me having the conversations that a lot of us are thinking but nobody's talking about because these things have to be said. I had to say at the podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast fix or at www.ihadtosayapodcast.com. Why don't you come listen to what I've got to say?